Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay, well turn with me to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to begin at verse 12 as we continue our study this morning. Now, by nature, we're kind of curious about the lives of other people. We want to hear what's going on in their life in the lives of the people that we know and sometimes we want to hear about the lives of people we don't know at all <clears throat> and if we're honest with ourselves and actually admit it sometimes when we see people on the movie screen or the television or the news or concert stage or so you know social media we're we're intrigued by them and we wonder what their story is, right? I mean, I know at least I am sometimes. And we can also be like that with significant figures from history. We want to read about their biographies or read their autobiographies, and we find it interesting, and we find it compelling to learn about their life. We want to know, like, what was it that made them great or special or popular or well-known? We want to know the circumstances behind their ascendancy to greatness. You know, and sometimes I wonder when we come to the Gospels, do we do that same thing? Because it becomes easy for us to take it as, gossip or a historical story of someone's life when really it is so much more than that because this morning we're going to consider somebody who did something somebody who initiated something somebody who brought something in a way that nobody else would do or that nobody else could do and we're going to see that throughout our text this morning so let's begin here at verse 12 it says now on the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the passover lamb his disciples said to him where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the passover and he sent one or he sent out two of his disciples and said to them go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water follow him Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So Jesus is now in the final hours of his life before he will go to the cross. But before he goes to the cross, he'll be betrayed. He'll be arrested and beaten. He'll be put on trial before various high priests and the Roman governor Pilate. He'll be mocked and scorned before the Ro Roman soldiers and all of the people. And with all of that, imminently facing him just hours away jesus will have this very important 
meal with his disciples. But my friends, this was far more than just some normal meal. Verse 12 tells us that it was the Passover. And the Passover was and still is a very important date on the Jewish calendar. It's the most significant ceremonial family meal of the year. And the closest thing I can equate it to on our calendar would be Thanksgiving. Everybody should be in a home. Everybody should be around family. And everybody should remember with thanksgiving the great things that God has done. And that's what the Passover was, to come together and to remember the great work of God in bringing the children of Israel out of the hand of Egypt back in the time of Moses. So Jesus had this passion in his heart to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. But a meal like this had to be prepared because Jesus wanted it to be in just the right setting, in just the right room, with just the right food. And those specific arrangements needed to be set up well beforehand. So now we're on that critical day and he tells the disciples, okay, go get the room and even though they hadn't prepared anything at all as we could see from this passage we can also see that jesus had and so as we just read jesus gives them these specific instructions and they go ahead and they made the final preparations for the passover meal verse 17 says in the evening he came with the twelve now as they sat and ate jesus said assuredly i say to you one of you who eats with me will betray me. So I want the movie to run in your head here for a moment. You've got these 13 men all in one room. It's a very relaxing atmosphere. They're all reclining on their cushions at this low table. They're likely leaning on their elbows, on their sides, and they're all enjoying this wonderful food and uh, fellowship as they celebrate Passover. Now, if you've ever attended a Seder meal, you'll know it's no ordinary meal. It has a very distinct liturgy. It has a distinct pattern that needs to be followed. It opened with a very specific prayer. And it had specific marking points and specific explanations during the meal. And verse 17 tells us that they sat and ate. So everything's going perfectly. But then out of the blue in verse 18, Jesus says, Oh, by the way, one of you guys is going to betray me. Now, that's one way to pour cold water on a wonderful meal, right? And you can imagine how this would have rocked these disciples to their very core. We've traveled together for three years now. I think we know each other pretty well, maybe too well. I mean, we know every disgusting habit each of us has. And now you're going to say that one of us is going to betray you. Shocking. Well, look at their response here in verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to, uh, to him one by one, Is it I? 
Another, and another said, is it I? Do you know what I think is really fascinating about this? As soon as Jesus said this, they immediately began suspecting one another. Yet they don't ask Jesus about any other specific disciple. They just say, is it I? <laughs> but even more fascinating to me is that apparently even Judas asked the question. I mean, he knew it was him. Yet he still asked anyway. Now, it could be just that it would be a, a tad conspicuous if he was the only one not asking the question. But still, it also shows us that none of them knew who it was. They had no idea. Well, this statement really has these disciples tied up in knots. So Jesus answers them here in verse 20. It says, He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. You know, part of me has always wondered if at that moment Jesus looked at Judas. Because if he did, he certainly didn't make it obvious. Maybe it was just a glance. Maybe it was just simple eye contact in that moment. And I really believe in that fleeting moment Judas knew something. He knew that this was his opportunity to turn back. He knew this was his opportunity to change his course. He knew this was an opportunity to repent. And friends, we need to remember that God loves us that much. That even when we are set on a sinful course, He will still give us an opportunity to escape. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, There's no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. And whenever that temptation comes, God will provide a way of escape. And my friends, that is a promise. While this was Judas' way of escape, and Jesus was saying, Judas, I am warning you right now. If you betray me, it will be better for you that you were never even born. Don't do this, Judas. And I can just picture that look of love in the eyes of Jesus as Judas turned off his own awareness. He turned off his own sensitivity to this and he hardened his heart just a little bit more. And friends, that's the real danger when we push Jesus away. The real danger when Jesus speaks to your heart and when he warns you about something going on in your life 
And what happens when you push him away a little bit more? It creates just a little bit of hardness, a little bit more callousness in your heart, and it makes it that much easier to push him away the next time. And the next time. And the next time. And sadly, here we see that even with the most solemn warning imaginable that Judas further hardens his already calloused heart. And Judas will just push it away. And that's a really heartbreaking account, isn't it? Well, Jesus has more he wants to say to the disciples. Look at verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So I want to bring some context to help us understand the significance of this. Remember, this is the Passover meal. And at this Passover meal, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, gentlemen, this bread is my body. Take and eat it. Then Jesus takes the cup and he says, Gentlemen, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I want you to take and drink it. Now in doing this, Jesus is bringing special significance to the bread and special significance to the cup. But here's what's interesting here. The bread and the cup would have already had significance at that table. This was a Passover meal and almost every item of food there had specific significance. But what Jesus was doing right here was an absolute game changer. Let me explain. During the Passover meal, as the head of the household broke the bread, he would say this formal prayer. He would say, This is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat and let everyone who is needy come and eat of the Passover meal. And then he would distribute the bread. Now that sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? So Jesus takes the bread here. And everyone is just expecting the same Passover prayer that they would go through every year. But he doesn't say that. He says something similar, but very different. When Jesus breaks the bread here, he says, Gentlemen, I want you to think of this bread as my body. I want you to take it and eat it. Well, as the Passover meal would have continued, there would have been many ceremonial sips of wine. Each of them would have symbolized or represented different things. 
So Jesus takes one of these ceremonial sips of wine, but instead of reciting one of the prayers pertaining to the wine, he says, gentlemen, I know that every Passover we hold this cup and we say, this is the cup of this or this is the cup of that. But I'm going to tell you what this cup is now. This is my blood of the new covenant. My friends, there were amazing foods there on the Passover table. You had the bitter herbs symbolizing the bitterness of slavery. You had salt water symbolizing the tears shed in Egypt's oppression. And then you had the main course, which was a freshly sacrificed lamb. And the lamb didn't symbolize anything connected with the agonies of Egypt. The lamb symbolized the sin-bearing sacrifice that allowed the judgment of God to pass over that household to all that believed. So, You see, my friends, what Jesus is really saying here is this is a new day. This is a new Passover. This is a new deliverance. We're not talking about delivering people from the bondage of Egypt anymore. We're not talking about delivering... uh, What we are talking about is delivering people from the bondage of sin and death. We're talking about delivering people from the tyranny that sin holds over men. I'm not bringing you the old covenant that Moses instituted on Mount Sinai. I'm bringing you a brand new covenant bought and paid for with my own blood. And friends, that is what Jesus did that nobody else could do nobody. Amen? And friends, there has never been a single human being that has walked on planet Earth that could institute a new covenant with God Himself. Only the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, could ever do this. Because only Jesus could come and stay instead of coming by the blood of a sacrificed animal. Now you're going to come by the blood this cup represents. Instead of coming on the basis of an animal whose body was broken. Now you're going to come because my body was broken for you. I am here to bring the new covenant to you. Now this whole idea of a new covenant began way back in the Old Testament. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke about it. And you'll, if you remember, the scripture we opened with in Jeremiah chapter 31 talked about this. And I love how Jer- what Jeremiah has to say about this because in Jeremiah 31 verse 34 he says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Don't you want that? Don't you want 
God to forget your sin? <laughs> Don't you want your family to forget your sin? Don't you want your friends to forget your sin? But think of it. How much better is it to have God in heaven forget about your sin? And it's not that God loses his memory in heaven. Not at all. But God says, no, the price has been paid. I can put away all remembrance of that person's sin. Well, another feature of this new covenant Jeremiah describes in verse 33 of chapter 31 in Jeremiah, it says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, I hope you treasure your Bible. It is far more than merely a useful tool to us. It is God's Word to us. But even more important than having the Bible written on these pages is having it written on the tablet of your heart. The Word and the will of God written right there on your heart. And finally, in verse 33, Jeremiah tells us that this new covenant would be about a new and close relationship with God. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant would be about a new close relationship with God. Oh, you've known him, but maybe from a distance. But now we can embark on the greatest adventure of all, a close, intimate, and personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the point that Jesus was driving home to these disciples is that this new covenant was not founded on the strength and the goodness of man, but it was founded on the strength and the goodness of God. Well, after Jesus initiates this new covenant, back in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, it tells us that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now let me ask you something here. If you were 12 to 14 hours maybe away from brutal beatings, crucifixion on the cross, would you be in any mood for singing? Would your heart be filled with worship? This simply amazes me. Well, they leave that upper room and they begin the half hour walk from the upper room going over the Temple Mount, across the Kidron Valley, and up the Mount of Olives. And now we read in verse 27, Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now when they were all eating together, Jesus said to them, one of you will betray me. Now Jesus says, all of you are going to forsake me. And I think that this would have been amazing to these disciples. What on earth are you talking about, Jesus? 
We are your friends. We are your followers. We will stand by your side. We would never forsake you. But Jesus says, you're going to do it. Because it is written. And because he knew their hearts. Well, Peter sure was a stubborn character. I've always related to that guy. Look what he says in verse 29. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now remember the upper room? When Jesus gave Judas the opportunity to change his mind and repent. Don't you think he's kind of doing the same thing for Peter right here? It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not thinking clearly right now. Peter, you are weaker than you think you are. Peter, you really need a little bit more humility here. But Peter's having none of it. In fact, Peter digs in even further in verse 31, but he spoke more vehemently. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. And not only is he digging in further, but he's drawing in the other disciples. Because they all, you know, and they all said likewise. But I want, you, I want to ask you a question here. When Peter spoke here vehemently, with all of his strength, if I have to die, with, uh, uh, to die with you, I will not deny you. Do you think he meant it? I sure do. And do you know what? I believe that if the guards had come at that very moment, I think Peter would have laid his life down for Jesus. But herein lies the problem. The guards didn't come for an hour or two after this. Sure, Peter felt that way right then. But obviously, as we will soon see, he didn't feel the same way two hours later. And my friends, can I tell you something here? This is what happens when we live our lives on feelings. Sometimes we're going to feel high, strong, mighty. But sometimes we're going to feel weak. And in those moments of weakness, we become prey to fall to that weakness. So instead of trusting in his own feelings, Peter should have been trusting in Jesus. Peter should have been humbling himself. Peter should have believe, been believing the word that Jesus spoke. But he didn't. And friends, what I want you to see in all this is that the new covenant Jesus had just made was plenty sufficient to save Peter. Because it was based on what Jesus had done and because it was based on what Jesus was about to do. 
you know, if I were Jesus, I might have just said, you know, look, you guys are just going to forsake me anyway. And you're too stupid to even see it. I can find much smarter followers someplace else. So I'm just washing my hands of you guys right now. But he didn't do that, did he? No, he looked at these men. He loved them. And he said, look, man, you yield to me and I will do my great work in you. Because it's based on my covenant in you. It's not based on your strength or your will or your determination. It's based on what I did. Something that nobody else could do. And you can only come to me based on the basis of this new covenant. So friends, I want to ask you something as we close this morning. Where are you at? Are you trying to make your own deal with God? You know, me and God, we got a <clears throat> special arrangement going on here. <laughs> we got an understanding. You do realize it doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> the new covenant is solely based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Nothing more Nothing less. And maybe this morning you've never done that before. And you need to come to him for the first time and say, okay, God, no more trying to cut my own deals with you. I'm going to come on the basis of this new covenant in Jesus Christ. Then you come. Don't hesitate. Jesus is waiting with open arms for you. But then maybe there are some of you who started out in the new covenant. But now you're trying to forge your own way. Now you're trying to do your own thing before God, much like Peter did. And now for you, you realize that it's time to just say, that's enough. Lord, it's the new covenant or nothing. And that's the kind of walk that I want to have with you, Jesus. So let's join our hearts together in praise and thanksgiving for what He has done. What He's done in that new covenant is out of His goodness to us, not because we deserved it. And He's given us this treasure written on the tablets of our heart so that we can have that close relationship with him let's pray father i know i'm guilty of not walking as close with you as i should lord i'm a pastor how often we can take for granted this incredible treasure that you've given to us. This incredible covenant that we have. Not just to have our sins forgiven, but to have the very Word of God 
written on the tablets of our heart. That we can have that close, personal, intimate relationship with the living God. How often we settle. We settle for the junk food when before us is set before us the banqueting table of the King of Kings. Lord, we love you. We want to serve you. Lord, help us to recognize and to make use of this incredible treasure of your word and our personal relationship with you. Lord, change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.